Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame's spring football will come to a close on Saturday on what's expected to be a beautiful day in South Bend for the Blue Gold game. We hope to have plenty to discuss and dissect with another look at the 2022 Irish team. But before we get into that, we wanted to spend some time on another important news story this week. The Athletics' Pete Sampson broke the news Monday of a new NIL collective formed to support Notre Dame student-athletes known as FUND, Friends of the University of Notre Dame. The nonprofit organization is being led by former Notre Dame quarterback Brady Quinn. Tom Mendoza, a Notre Dame alum and namesake of the Mendoza College of Business, is also a member of the organization's board. So we asked, some, we asked Tom to share some time with us on the podcast today. Tom, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Tyler. Great to see you and Eric. First, Tom, how did you get involved with FUND? Uh, Brady reached out to me, I would say, the latter part of last year, as we, this whole thing was emerging everywhere in the country. And the concept, you know, everyone knew it was going to be a challenge, but he, he introduced the concept of doing something that kind of speaks to the values of Notre Dame and allows us, the student-athletes, to prosper up their name, image, and likeness. And when he explained it to me, I just thought it hit the right tone for us. Now, to be clear, this doesn't have to be the only initiative, and I don't think it will be by any means. But to have players who are passionate about a charity be able to represent that charity, thereby helping their positive brand for a good reason, they are good people, and then secondarily having the charity prosper off of that seems like a great way to start. And I'm so that's how we started it. He, he reached out to me and, and Pat Eilers and Jason Sapp got involved and, and uh, he asked me to be on the board. And so we're, we're still in the formative stages of where this can go. I think the whole nil is, but I like how it's starting. Tom, I think um, <laughs> the fans are hysterical about where this is all headed, big picture. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize this isn't kind of the nuclear reaction to what else is going on and so forth, but how effective and impactful do you believe this can be in making Notre Dame at least competitive in the NRA? I, I, I understand. I think it'll be a component of, of what we need to do. You know, what, what I think it will do it will allow, and by the way, it's for football, but we're also going to do other sports. We're going to support student athletes who have a passion for charity, who have a passion to help somebody. Right. And, and just as an aside, I think kids who go to Notre Dame tend to be socially conscious. That's my experience. Athletes who choose to play sports at a high level at Notre Dame are choosing a harder path than they might choose. And most of them are very socially conscious. So this is an outlet for them to give back to a community or a group that they really feel passionate about in a way that they feel good about. It will give them a way to uh, make some money for what they tweet and what they, and their appearances, hopefully, and our charity also will donate money to the causes that they choose. Uh, and I think that will be a great start. And I think also, if you see an athlete doing things that you really admire in your business and you want someone to represent you, this, 
this is a good way to build a brand that's very positive, very Notre Dame oriented. And, you know, God, country, Notre Dame is kind of one of those things. And, you know, if you get that concept, you get it. If you, if you think it's silly, you do. You probably don't go to Notre Dame if you think it's silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just think it's a good thing for the community. It's a good thing for the athlete. They'll feel good about themselves. It's a component of building their brand, and they'll make some money off it. Tom, I know we're in the early stages here, but from a functional standpoint, it, it, how would how does this work? If I if I wanted to make a donation to the fund, do, do I direct my donation to a certain cause to a certain player? How, how would that uh, proceed? No, you just donate to www.fundfoundation.org. And there's a link right on there. It's, it's very straightforward. And they were, our job is the board working with, you know, some people who know the athletes is to, to look at the athletes and discern who really represents what, what we're looking at and who do we want to support. Uh, and then obviously now that we've announced it, I think we'll raise quite a bit of money so we can support quite a few. So we, we wanted to be thoughtful about how we got into this and make sure it represents Notre Dame in the way it should be represented and the athlete in the way the athlete should be represented. So you make the donation. Um, I've been very fortunate. Many of my friends already texted me today and they, they donated. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, Tyler, because it gives people who are Notre Dame fans, but they're not in a position to give huge amounts of money like some of these schools are talking about. But if enough Notre Dame fans just give money that makes them comfortable and want to participate, this could turn into quite, quite an event and quite a springboard to other things for many of these children, many of these kids. Uh, I just think it's a good start. And I will say this also, guys, this is a platform that we've created, 501C, that we'll see where else we could take it. You know, we're all new to this, too, but we have a lot of people who want to help with thinking and ideas about how we can make this better and bigger and, and more inclusive. And that's that's kind of why I got involved to your original question. Eric. That's why I, I got excited about where it could go, not necessarily where we're starting. And that 501C status makes these tax deductible, correct? Tax deductible. And, and that's it, a big thing, isn't it? Sure. I mean, if you're going to give to a charity anyway, yeah. you know, I give quite a bit to charity. I try to anyway. And so do most people I know, I try to be thoughtful about where I, where I do it. Well, here's a way that if you're passionate about Notre Dame and sports, you get to give money that you can deduct on your taxes and feel good about yourself and help, help the program. You know, and, and following that up, there are 28 states that have passed NIL legislation. There's nine more that have bills introduced. There's federal bills. Indiana's one of the 13 states that hasn't touched this. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that it would affect what you're doing, but in the big picture of NIL, do you think it would help Notre Dame if Indiana had some sort of NIL law on the books? That's a very good question. Um, you know, Dylan Gibbons is a friend of mine. I mentored him when he was at Notre Dame. Now he's at Florida State. We all know he's doing wonderful things with his right. opportunity, right? And he's actually lobbying the state of Florida for this particular issue because he thinks it could help his foundation do more. Um, I, I guess I'm not close enough to that to see what they're actually passing. Right. The, the idea is don't be too restrictive, right? 
so that the athletes, specifically athletes doing good things, can do more. But I, I'm not an expert in that particular area. Sure. Tom, Neither am I. <laughs> yeah, 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 none of us are. Yeah, I think the general consensus was that if there aren't laws on the books, that there's actually more freedom because there's nothing saying what you can't do, at least at this point. Um, yeah, that, that's correct. Tom, you mentioned how you started you or you heard from Brady about this back late last year. I'm curious, just as you've seen NLI sort of explode, I think there's been a lot of Notre Dame fans like, oh, I'm curious what's going to happen around Notre Dame. Right. How many other conversations have you had about NIL? Was this the only thing that's sort of come across your radar? Or have there been a number of things that people are trying to figure out how, how they can get their arms wrapped around this? Well, you have a number of initiatives like the Oak Initiative, which gave money to everybody on the team, right, that got involved in that. Mick Aesop's done a good job. I know Brandon Wimbush has a company that's aimed at helping people get these opportunities. Uh, and I know other alumni are looking at what else can be done. And, you know, one of the things we want to make sure, any, anything we do, I'd like the number one vetting, is this going to feel good as a, from a Notre Dame perspective? And I, I want to make sure without involving them directly, we can kind of sense when we're going down a path that they, <laughs> they feel good about not. We, I, in other words, we don't want to just come out of nowhere and we're doing something on our own and, and Notre Dame's like, what are you doing? I don't want that kind of situation. I don't think we have to get there. I think we can be thoughtful about it. But Tyler, there are so many things changing every week on this. You read about the Tennessee quarterback and all these different things that are happening, you know, in Texas A&M with their class, right, and what they paid for the class. You know, some of this stuff, it'll be interesting to see how it ends up, right? We're, this is new, and somebody's got to support that year in, year out. I'm not sure how that's all going to go. So we'd like to... The answer to your question is there's a lot of people talking about and thinking about it, a lot of influential people. Uh, and once we see things that everyone's like, now that's a great idea, you know, then I'm open to, to help in any way I can. But I, it's so new and it's so broad. It's like the Wild West. You know, right. and the Wild West does, you know, there's a lot of guys who died in the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Uh, so, it's a good start. I think, I think it's been very popular. It will be very popular with the players. I know it. Just the reaction to them. Uh, and we'll see how we go from here. But I'm sure we're gonna, we, we'll be competitive. Tom, again, I might be pulling you out of your lane here, and I hope I'm not. But as you look at the concept of teams, some of these cooperatives on some of these colleges, and we mentioned Tennessee, just throwing – big dollars at somebody that hasn't played it down yet. Right. Do, do, I mean, are these people looking for a return on their investment? Is, is this good business to be throwing I, that much money? I, I don't think they're looking for a return on investment. They're just yeah. hungry to win down in Tennessee, right? And they're tired of seeing Alabama and all these other guys. Yeah. And they're willing to buy it. I mean, this, I worry about how this is going to look. I'm all for the players getting paid. I'm all for nil. Yeah. And, but, but I, I think, for instance, when we started talking about this, it wasn't about paying for recruits. It was how do we help the guys who are here that have chosen Notre Dame? How do we help them maximize? And Notre Dame has a, an officer now in the, working in the athletic department to help them look over their opportunities. That, to me, is what this thing was supposed to be. Right. 
there's just paying for play. I worry, Eric, about how this looks long-term for college football. And I worry about, you know, a lot of people say, I can't stand the NFL. They're all paid. They don't care. I love college football. But how do you feel about college football? If there's the SEC and a few other teams that pay for, you know, and it becomes a semi-pro league. I don't know. I, I wish the NCAA hadn't just abandoned their responsibility, like take it to court. We lost. See you later. It seems to me, you heard Saban saying it. You heard uh, Dabo saying, there's got to be some rules around this that, that make it good for everybody. And I, I think the second generation is going to do that because there's going to be some bad stories. And following up on that, I want to read you a quote Brady had, and I'm sure you've seen it in Pete Sampson's story. Um, he said, there's a lot of motivation around what's happening at Notre Dame and helping student athletes. Anyone out there that thinks the student-athletes or Marcus Freeman doesn't have the resources to win a national championship is dead wrong. Now, as I listen to that quote, I think he's being optimistic, but I also think there's something about Notre Dame's branding and, and the, the different, I guess I'm using a Brian Kelly thing, shopping down a different aisle, that's still going to appeal to a lot of kids, you know, that Notre Dame doesn't maybe need the biggest financial packages just so that there are opportunities. I, I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. I think you're 100% right. You know, I, I look at the quarterback position. We all know we're going after a very high-profile quarterback. He's got decisions to make. If you come to Notre Dame and you are that quarterback that takes them to the top, the branding opportunities would be nuclear. <laughs> I mean, seriously, do you remember when Joe was on the cover of every magazine? Yeah. Brady Quinn was on the cover of every magazine when he was here. And if you're that guy to take them to the Manti Teo, when he chose Notre Dame over USC, I was living in Southern California at the time. It was a shock to everybody, right? I remember USC lined the airport for him. The only time they ever did that with the entire team comes to our game at Syracuse, people throwing snowballs as we lose a, as an 18-point favorite. Did not seem like we were going to win that. Coming from Hawaii, he was in shorts. You know what I'm saying? It didn't set up that well. Two days before, I remember, it was BYU, USC, Notre Dame. And why, why am I bringing up Manti? Because the linebacker position that year for USC was Cushing. It was uh, Ray Maliega and it was Clay Matthews. Notre Dame hadn't had anybody in that league since Bob Crable. So I'm like, I had said to my roommate, if we ever had a guy make that position, we could go to a different level. Two days before, he says, you know what? I'm not, he eliminated BYU. He says, I'm not going to take the easy path. I'm thinking, well, I know what the hard path is. If that's Syracuse game. When he chose Notre Dame, it was like, look at our linebacker position now. And look at, right? We've had three Butkus Award winners, four great recruits this year. The one missing piece we have to pull this thing up to that level that Marcus needs is quarterback. Not knocking any of the quarterbacks, but you know what I'm saying. A yeah. guy where everyone goes, oh, my God, Notre Dame got him. That person, by definition, is going to get all kinds of publicity that when Notre Dame wins, there's nothing like it. Now, it's not just the quarterback. As the team wins, imagine if the Lou Holtz teams were around and these rules were in place. With Jerome Betts, the entire squad, Brian Young and all those guys. 
So what we've done in the last, since 2017 is we built, we proved that we could play at a very, very high level. That was in doubt after 2016. We've had a tremendous run and there's no doubt, and I've got to know Marcus very well. We, we talked a lot. Uh, this is a different guy. This is, and that's not knocking Brian Kelly. I'm very thankful for what he did to build here. I don't like what he's saying now, but he's very thankful that he put us on a position to take it to another level. But Marcus is doing it. And I think the kids he's coming in are hungry to go take them there. And we're going to help them get opportunities. But I, I do think Brady's right. And one thing will feed on another, right? Once, once this deal comes in this, but it's not so much pay to play. It has to do with people want you to represent what they are because of who you are. And when people see Notre Dame athletes, I can't tell you how many friends of mine say every time I meet a Notre Dame football player, I'm more impressed. You know, later on when they're done playing, Justin Tuck and all these guys. So that's the thing that Notre Dame, if we can bottle that, it's unique. It is unique. And we got to take advantage of it. And I think I think they can. Tom, I know some folks who may be interested in donating to this would be curious of, okay, where, where exactly is my money going? So is there a set breakdown of how much money will be going to the charity versus how much will be going to the stipend for the student athlete themselves? Yeah. 90% goes to, I think at most it'd be 10% to the charity. And I think 90% goes to the student athlete, something like that. I think that's about right. Maybe 20, maybe it's 80, 20. Okay. But the, the point of that is not, just to send money to the charities to give that charity visibility that it wouldn't have. Sure. You have a face to it. Now people, I find myself donating to, to anything I see a student athlete, not just Notre Dame. I was reading a story about a Georgia guy who was helping his hometown and what he was doing struck me. So I sent money, right? So these charities do not have people calling incoming calls a lot to help, right? South Bend charities specifically. These guys in the community, you know, guys like Dalen Hayes, when he was there, was doing a lot for the homeless center and different things that have happened already. I think this could give everybody a platform that the charity will rise and the student athlete will make some money. We're not talking about lots of money in this particular program. It's more about money to do good things and help that charity and help, and I think, help build a positive brand, which you deserve. Is that, you know, we're not talking about kids. Kids don't come to Notre Dame and say, man, if I go there, I got to act good. How do I feel about it? If I go there, <laughs> the people I'm talking about feel like they came home. And this is what they are. They're just going to get to do with their little spare time they have something to help other people. We're going to give money to do it. Tom, last one from me. I know that Notre Dame's mantra prior to NIL and now during NIL, I think still will be the four for 40. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could share maybe your favorite story of a football player that really benefited from that on the other side that got through football and then that business degree from Notre Dame was life-changing. Let me give you three. Okay. Quick. <laughs> well, you know that not everybody knows Justin Tuck's story. So Justin goes to Notre Dame. His wife also was in the business school, went to Wharton. He took a train two hours each way because his kids were still growing up to Philadelphia from northern New Jersey. I, so many people say, I saw Justin Tuck on a train. He's working. Gets his MBA. Now he's a, he's a vice president at Goldman Sachs. 
And he's utilizing that platform to give all kinds of talks besides being extraordinarily successful. Justin comes from a small town in Alabama. And I know people that, in your line of work who said no one changed more at Notre Dame as far as development and being a spokesman than Justin Tuck. So that's one. Joe Schmidt. So Joe Schmidt, I got to know him when he was the captain of Notre Dame. We're good friends. He comes out of Notre Dame. I took him to Brian Kelly's event in New York. And a good friend of mine who runs a Fortune 500 company said, I would hire this guy no matter what I did. So Joe Schmidt leaves there. He goes to Excel, one of the top five uh, venture capital firms in the world. Gets experience there for a couple years. Then goes to be an operator in one of the companies that's doing real well. And now he's a partner, a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Joe's like 30. <laughs> what are we talking about? He was a walk-on football player. But people saw Joe and they saw who he was. And the last one's my favorite all-time player. Going to piss a lot of people off. But Mike Anello, maybe because he's about my size and I'm little. So, you know, when Mike was a killer on those special teams, yeah. I mean, that USC game where Pete Carroll sent two guys out to stop him, the Michigan game where he caused three turnovers. Mike Canelo, that they list him at 5'10". If he's 5'10", I'm 6'6". He's not 5'10". And he's 175 pounds. Mike Canelo goes to Harvard Business School. Then he goes into a private equity firm, and now he runs his own firm. Mike's in his early 30s, and he does a tremendous amount for St. Baldrick to raise money for kids with cancer. It's that kind that Mike's the kind of guy we want right now because it is who Mike is. These three guys that are rock stars, in my opinion, not for what they only did on a football field, who they are as people. And I'm sure we have a number of people there right now that when we build their story up, people are going to see what type of people we have at Notre Dame, and they'll be proud of them. All right, Tom, that's all we got for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Uh, funfoundation.org is the link for folks who want to contribute to the uh, organization. Um, I, I know a lot of Notre Dame fans are fired up about this, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it continues to grow. Well, thank you. And I followed you guys for many years at the Trib, and I, uh, I love what you're doing now. I'm obviously a member, and I wish you the best. Keep up the good work. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Saturday's blue gold game. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 150 passing yards for Drew Pine. Well, given that he's going to play for both sides and that he'll get a full half of football in, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm going to go over on that 150, not by much, but I think he's, he's, had a good enough spring where he can get that done playing for both teams. Yeah, I'm I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like in terms of how much he's going to play. Um, I mean, they said he'll play for both teams, but does that mean that he'll play consecutively for the entire half? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I'm going to go over. Uh, maybe that's hoping for some entertainment after uh, <laughs> after the the. Um, bad news hearing that Tyler Buckner won't be playing due to his ankle injury. Um, but uh, I, I, I hate going into uh, the blue gold game with high entertainment hopes because that doesn't usually always follow, <laughs> at least, at least in previous years, maybe it'll be different this year. 
Next bet, more rushing yards, blue or gold? Well, Dylan McCullough, the running backs coach, is the gold's head coach. But I think the blue has the roster stacked a little bit more with getting Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. Now, that was um, – <laughs> That was the gold's choice. The gold I talked to, uh, I talked to um, Cam Hart about that. They specifically wanted Jadarian Price ahead of Audric. They he goes, you know what? I've been around here a while. I've not seen anybody as elusive as Jadarian. And see, I'm I'm worried about Chris Tyree being healthy too. So. It's going to be Jadarian and probably some walk-on. So I'm going to go with the blue. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with gold. Uh, Dylan said they were sandbagging a little and getting Chris Tyree. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Chris Tyree is, is going to be able to play. Um, he's been limited with an ankle issue as well. Um, but Dylan seemed to think that he would be able to play at least some, and they would obviously keep him limited um, and maybe uh, find the right roles for him. So. I'm going to roll the dice and go with gold and pick the running backs coach to get more rushing yards. I, I really like Jadarian Price. Um, I think he'll have plenty of opportunities, um, even though that uh, the combination of a healthy Logan Diggs and a healthy Audrey Gestime may potentially be a better combination, but I'm, I'm going to go with the gold. Next up, over under four and a half catches for Jaden Thomas. Well, you know, Jaden got picked ahead of Deion Colsey, which surprised me a little bit. Um, so he must have shown something in spring practice, but not enough for me to go over on four and a half catches. I'm going under. Yeah, I'm torn here. I, I want to go over, but he's on the team with my blue gold game junior jabby award prediction. Kind of again. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Connor's going to take take away some of those opportunities um, from Jaden Thomas. Um, I, I'll, I'll go under. Um, I, I do like the Golds passing offense better um, with, with uh, uh, Drew Pine and Steve Angeli being the quarterbacks, um, uh, opposed to Drew Pine and Ron Paulus being the quarterbacks of the blue team. Um, so I, I, I don't think – there's, there's not a lot. That's, that, that was the interesting thing about the Blue Gold draft the other day was with a draft from my receivers, it doesn't take them long to start getting to the walk-ons. You're like, oh, yeah. there's, there's not a lot of options here. Um, so I, 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 I think there's an opportunity for Jaden Thomas to hit the over there, but I'm, I'm going to play it safe and go with the under. Next one, more sacks, blue or gold? You know, the – <laughs> Went and looked at which team was assigned Foskey because he wasn't in the draft. They had seniors were assigned kind of beforehand, and he was on the blue team. So, you know, it's usually somebody that's not the star sack leader that leads the sacks, but I didn't see enough to sway me from that decision. So I'm going to go with blue. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how much. Isaiah Foskey will play. Um, I think in comparing the two defensive lines, there were, in my opinion, were a bit of a toss-up. But what swayed me to blue was the fact that Maris Leofile and Jordan Batello were also linebackers on the blue team. 
and those guys can rush the passer as well. So um, that that put me in the direction of, of Blue having more sacks on uh, Saturday. Last prop bet over under 39 and a half yards for the longest field goal. I think it would be kind of disappointing if it were under. So I guess this is more of a rooting interest that I'm going to go over. Um, and I think given that both of the guys struggled, not all spring, but in a scrimmage setting, and it was indoors, um, that I think they'll want to kind of see that in the spring game, a, a longer field goal. So over for me. Yeah, I'm going over well. The, the, the conditions should be ideal for them to kick a long field goal, too, because it's supposed to be a beautiful day in South Bend on Saturday. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll predict a, a, an over as a team there. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. Even though spring football is wrapping up, we will continue to have podcasts. So I encourage people to send some more questions because we're getting a lot of repetitive questions um, and the same people. So hopefully uh, we can get some more people to, to participate. We would love to hear from you guys. All right. First one is from Rhino 1134 on the Insider Lounge. Out of Brandon Joseph, Isaiah Foster, and Maris Leofau, who is the most important, not necessarily best, player to the defense being successful in 2022? love that question because it really made me think because <laughs> you have to factor in things beyond who's the best player of that group. You have to kind of factor in who's the backup, you know, it's, uh, and that's what made it really difficult. You know, you look at the backup for um, Foskey and it's Justin Adam Malola. You look at, Kali being the backup for Marist. And then you look at the safeties and there's a whole bunch of guys that are kind of bunched together. Um, and yet these guys bring a dimension that nobody else in their position group has. Foskey being that elite sack guy, Leofau being so versatile and so dynamic and Brandon being an interception machine. I went ahead and went with Foskey. I thought he's their best player. So I, I definitely got the question, but then I chickened out and went with the best player instead of doing all that math. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. I, I, I'd be worried about the pass rush without Isaiah Foskey. Certainly Justin Animal is a capable backup, but um, I, I, I do think Isaiah Foskey makes that big of a difference for the defensive line. Um, but my, my choice was Brandon Joseph more because of the drop-off to his replacement being the biggest. I'm not sure that the safety group would be nearly as appealing uh, going into the season, though we do think that the group as a whole has improved and there's more depth there and more options there. I just think that he is the one playmaker of that group that we know for, uh, I guess, for sure might be a little bit uh, presumptive, but I, I feel like he is going to be a playmaker as a safety in Notre Dame secondary, and I'm not sure who would do that if Brandon Joseph weren't there. So that's why I went with Brandon Joseph. Um, well, he makes the corners better, although so does Foskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and we've, as much as I think Maris Leofau is great, we've seen the defense be successful without him. Um, I think whether it was sticking with Pr Prince Cowley as his backup or then just J.D. Bertrand and Bovar would play next to each other, I think that they could get away with finding success without Maris Leofau. But I do think Maris Leofau might be one of the things that takes them from 
a good defense to a great defense because I, I think uh, he, he can also be a difference maker and a playmaker at the linebacker level. Next question is from BGI user 1873 on the Insider Lounge with Tyler Buckner's injury history, as well as him being a very mobile quarterback. Could this lead to the staff to consider adding another quarterback for depth via the transfer portal? got this question yesterday in chat and I'm going to answer it the same. I haven't changed my mind. I think had Tyler or Pines, let's say an ACL tear or something really serious, absolutely. Um, with a sprained ankle, then it gets a little bit more ticklish. So if, if you were trying to get somebody that could win you games, meaning somebody that can compete to start, they should have been here this spring. Um, out of the portal. If you're looking for depth, you know, you're looking for somebody that's going to be happy taking third or fourth string reps. And, and then really, is that guy going to help you? Because they're not going to know the offense. They weren't here in the spring. They're going to come in and have to learn that offense taking third team reps in August. They're not going to take reps away from Buckner or Pine. And then really it, are you getting a better player than Steve Angeli at that point? And I don't think so. So I would say no. And you also have to get the numbers to fit. If it comes between adding a second wide receiver through the portal and a quarterback, a third string quarterback, I would take the second wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, the, the I think the scenario that you laid out there in terms of what this quarterback would represent is is probably the most accurate one. I think some people want to believe that if they go after a quarterback, it's because they think that this person is better than Drew Pine. Um, and I don't think that there is that kind of doubt of Drew Pine in the program where, where some fans may have that doubt of Drew Pine. Um, so I, I just don't see that um, being, being a, a realistic – Option. Yeah. I mean, I know we talked before the spring about, well, maybe they can bring in a third, third string guy that would be okay with that role. Maybe it was like a, an Ivy league transfer or something like that, that knew what do you, what he was getting into because you don't want, you don't want to chase off Drew Pine either, because then if Drew Pine transfers um, you're in a, in a bad position as well. So I, I just don't, I don't see that uh, adding a quarterback making a lot of sense. I think they like what they have in Drew Pine. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about Steve Angeli uh, here in, in the next question. Next question is from at Pangborn1989. Any idea, any idea how Steve Angeli has looked this spring? He seems to have been dismissed before he even signed his letter of intent by the fans and recruiting analysts. Well, again, we've seen him in – one competitive practice and we've seen a lot of drill work with him. Um, and then I, I've watched him play in an all-star game and watched some of his tape from high school. I mean, he just looked okay. You don't look out there and say, huh, what is this guy doing as third string? Actually he started the spring as fourth and he, and he jumped over Ron Paulus, the third. Um, but I think that's pretty typical of what, third string quarterbacks look like in the spring, especially when the priority, when there's a uh, quarterback competition going on for number one, you know, I can remember looking at Deshaun Kaiser and going, I thought this kid would be better than this. 
in the spring. And then lo and behold, he was. Um, so, I mean, I think he's solid. Um, and that's, that's about it. You know, I, I, we've had him on the podcast before and he's a bright kid. You can see where the leadership qualities are. You can see, you know, why Notre Dame recruited him. I, I could see that, but um, he's not going to be pressing the top two guys. I think he did what a third string quarterback typically does in the spring. Yeah, the what you, you you said solid. I, I, competent was the word that I came up with. I think uh, it, there's not a lot that's flashy about Steve Angeli, yeah. but that's that's fine as an early enrolled freshman. Uh, he he he. This spring was about him getting feet under him and understanding what the position that he was in and uh, the responsibilities of, of being a quarterback at Notre Dame. Um, and Saturday will be a good opportunity to, to get a, a, a really good look at where he's at in, in some competitive uh, scrimmage opportunity. So uh, you, you never know how the quarterback position will play out. I, I think it's understandable why people are overlooking him because there's a perception that he would he's sort of the space filler between Tyler Buckner and potentially Dante Moore if he signs with Notre Dame. But uh, so was Ian Book between Brandon Winbush and Phil Jackson. Yeah. And he he became the winningest quarterback in program history. So Tommy Reese was a filler too. I, I, I don't want to write Steve Angeli off. I, I don't know that I, I'm, I'm not going to make any sort of bold predictions about him being the next Ian Book or anything like that. Uh, but I, I think uh, he he's had a fine spring and uh, I think uh, he is learning and um, sort of like what we were talking about with the previous question, the hope is that he's good enough that if Notre Dame gets to a third string quarterback, they'd rather have him play than some, some transfer that was, was willing to come in and, and be the third string quarterback at Notre Dame. Next question is from the insider lounge MAGA2024. Now that Braylon James is a wide receiver commit, who do we have the best chance at joining him in the wide receiver class? Plenty of names with Tyler Williams, Rodney Gallagher, Rico Flores, Jane Greathouse, Malik Elzey, Ronan Hannafin, I guess, Carnell Tate, sort of, et cetera. We need four, and I have no idea who we should expect to land. I talked with somebody about this yesterday in terms of Notre Dame's priorities, and I also think, you know, in situations like this, you follow the visits, and that tells you both who Notre Dame is interested in and also who's willing to – spend their own money to come to Notre Dame or spend one of their official visits to come to Notre Dame. So this weekend you have Great House and Gallagher coming. And I think those guys are priorities for Notre Dame. And I think we'll have a better feel for what they think about Notre Dame once they visited uh, on a Appalooza type weekend where there's going to be tons of recruits from both the next cycles and here's the bonus. There are going to be 300 former Notre Dame football players on campus this weekend because of Marcus Freeman. Typically, there's 20. So a lot of those guys are going to be NFL guys, and they're going to be rubbing elbows with them. And I think that's going to make a strong impression. Um, and then the other guy, I think, out of that bunch that I think is prioritized and, and that has a strong feel for Notre Dame right now is Rico Flores, who uh, – has an official visit scheduled in June. And that doesn't mean there can't be some uh, toggling around. I know that um, last night, Kyle Kelly, our Kyle Kelly reported that Aiden Mizell 
from Orlando was added to the 2023 offer list. So that's a name to look at as well. But, um, you know, Carnell Tate, I'm not sure where that's going. I think a lot of people think it's going to Tennessee. I don't know. I don't know that Notre Dame has ever been his leader. I don't think they're eliminated with him, but I, I think great house and Gallagher and Flores are the, uh, the guys that I would kind of follow at this point. Yeah. I, I, to use the language in the question, I don't know that I would say any of the remaining wide receiver targets or targets are someone that I quote unquote expect Notre Dame to land. I don't know that there's, anyone that's met that standard yet there's work to do at the position. And that's why we saw Aiden Mizell, who's a rivals 100 receiver uh, at an offer this week. Um, like you mentioned, great house and Gallagher visiting this weekend. Those are two players that Notre Dame likes a lot. Um, Tate remains a tough pull floor. In my opinion, Flores would be a bit of a surprise. We'll see if that changes when he visits. Uh, Malik Elsie's interest is there, but I haven't got a sense that Notre Dame has pushed really hard for him yet. Um, and I think that's because they want to see how things play out with the other receivers that I've mentioned. So um, Ronan Hannafin, I, I think, is more of a defensive recruit for Notre Dame at this point than a wide receiver. Um, so if I if I were forced to pick one, I think I'd go with Jaden Greathouse. Um, but I would uh, I would say TBD, depending on how this week plays out. <laughs> Maybe Rodney Gallagher jumps him on that list uh, after the after both those guys visit this weekend. So they, they went to the trouble of making a cool graphic with Great House and uh, Braylon James. Braylon James. So <laughs> the Texas boys that Notre Dame is recruiting. All right. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Do you have any inside knowledge on the possibility of Julian Fleming transferring to Notre Dame? Realize he is an undergrad and this would take some maneuvering. Also, any truth to the rumor that Swarbrick and Jenkins will be leaving in two years? Well, I'll tell you, Marie, you stumped me on, on the first part of that question. Uh, I think there's a – Tyler, maybe you can correct me. So Julian Fleming's at Ohio State, and he did not play in their spring game last Saturday. And then Ryan Day said it was because Julian was injured – and he's day-to-day right now with the injury. And then there were some Ohio State fans that speculated he didn't play because he's leaving. But I haven't seen anybody report that other than fans kind of speculating that. Am I getting ahead of myself here? Uh, well, you're not getting ahead of yourself. Okay. I think people that are talking about him coming to Notre Dame are getting ahead of themselves. Okay, okay. So Yeah, yeah he's not even in the transfer portal yet. Uh, okay. At, as of this recording of the podcast, now certainly that can change. Uh, But I mean, there's just this intrigue that he was a highly ranked wide receiver who hasn't been able to make much ground on the, on the Ohio state. But he's been injured a lot of his time and he got COVID. Right. Uh, He's a really good receiver. Um, He is somebody that Notre Dame looked at coming out of high school. And that's always kind of a positive um, I don't know what his curriculum has been like at Ohio State. Again, those underclass receivers with uh, transfer credits are always a little tricky. Uh, but but we're going to see names like that, Marie, coming up. I saw just a few minutes ago Pearsall from Arizona State, their leading receiver, is in the portal. He was a 2019 guy, which I don't know how close he is to his degree, but anybody that has their degree and that's a – the leading receiver for a power five team is probably going to get a look from Notre Dame. That's going to be a better fit 
I think. As far as Swarbrick and uh, Jenkins retiring, I know where that rumor came from. It was a weird kind of screenshot that was attributed to Brian Kelly and not confirmed. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that those guys retired together at some point. And it wouldn't surprise me if they, you know, we were, you were asking about them retiring four years from now and saying, is they, are they going to retire in two years? <laughs> um, so I don't have anything concrete on, on that part other than that weird whole Brian Kelly thing. He's trending on Twitter way too much, <laughs> Brian Kelly. Well, that, that whole tweet, it was some from some tweet and some people are trying to say, well, is that a burner that's associated with Brian Kelly somehow? I, I, I don't know what, what the truth behind any of that is. Um, the Jenkins and Swarbrick thing, I feel like that rumor was sort of connected. I think there's been speculation that Mike Bray isn't going to leave until those guys leave and they would all sort of leave together. But I have no idea that that's, that, that, that there's any sort of merit to that. Um, I, I, and I, and, and uh, the idea that that's the reason Marcus Freeman was hired is, is, is pretty asinine if you ask me, but yeah. um, I, I think uh, um, so. I, yeah. I mean, I have no idea that there's any truth to that. I, I, it, I don't understand why, why they would feel like they would need to go out together. I, it just seems sort of strange to me um, like why they why they would pair themselves in that way. Um, I, I think you would probably make it easier on the incumbents if you had staggered that in some way, if, if they really were sort of trying to get out around the same time. But um, I, I, uh, I mean, I, I think that's probably about all I have to say about that. And, and, and the Fleming thing, yeah, I don't have any more uh, insight to the potential of that than, than what you offered. I, I, we get asked about nearly every wide receiver who enters the transfer portal because Notre Dame. Well, there's going to be a bunch this week, and then, yeah, and there's going to be there's going to be a lot here as we as we hit that get close to that May first deadline that folks have to be in the transfer portal in order to play at the school of their choice immediately um, this coming season. Um, they have to be in the transfer by May first, which Eric always likes to remind us. <laughs> uh, and it's a new thing. No, it is. Yeah, no, and it's important. And and we are, I have seen, there has been a, a sort of a wave now that the spring games have happened elsewhere of, of, of kids entering the portal. Um, and so we'll see that. And we'll see if there's Notre Dame kids that want to get, uh, get out of Notre Dame uh, after the spring game as well. At least one of them is going to have to. They're at 86. Next and last question from the Insider Lounge is from SJB75. The shelf life of offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators are typically three seasons in many cases. Do you believe Tommy Reese will be at Notre Dame past 2022? Yeah, and I think age sometimes um, factors into that. I think the answer to SJB's question is easier if you consider what does Tommy want the next step to look like? Does he want to be an NFL guy or does he want to be a college head coach? I don't think he would leave for another offensive coordinator job, even though he was offered uh, the Miami job in this last cycle and turned it down. So I think if Notre Dame is in the playoff um, this year, if they, or if they get to 11 wins somehow, I, I don't know how they don't get into the playoff if they get to 11 wins. 
and Tommy has a really good year. Buckner has a really good year. Buckner Pine have a really good year. Tommy's going to be um, sought after by colleges to be their head coach, I think. Um, the NFL, I don't think, is going to be nearly as fine in what it's looking for. If, if Tommy Reese does what he's been doing up to this point with a little bit of improvement, I think the NFL will be interested, perhaps. I don't know about an offensive coordinator, but maybe quarterback, coach, and if he's willing to take that. Same with the head coaching jobs. I mean, if he's willing to take a um, group of five or a power five job that's has some rebuilding to do, I think that's, that's going to be there for him. So ultimately, do I think he'll leave after this year? No, I think he'll be there two more years. Yeah, I mean, obviously – the outcome of this is going to be related to the opportunities that are presented to him. Um, and it just seems to me like it, it would, I mean, unless there, I mean, maybe, maybe there will be, maybe this season will be great and there'll be all, all these kinds of uh, opportunities that are thrown his way. And one that really appeals to him that he wants to take the leap and do, but I, I see 2023 is a better season in terms of a, a jumping off point in terms of, if Tyler Buckner has a good season this year, then, then a potentially great season the following year, then that's to me, that's a more opportune time to leave um, than it would be after this 2022 season. So if that, if I, I were to forecast, like, I mean, it's, it, all those things are tied to each other, how Notre Dame season plays out um, and then how the opportunities that, that Tommy Reese has presented. Um, I think those, those, those can't be separated in this discussion. So I, I wouldn't want to place a bet either way, <laughs> to be frank. Uh, but I, I would, I would predict that he would be back at Notre Dame next season. All right, that's it for today's episode on the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with a friend. We'll be back next week with another podcast to review the Blue Gold Game. And look ahead at the NFL draft because we're coming up on that quickly. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs> <laughs>